All right, greetings to everyone. Please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Hebrews and chapter number 12. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. Here you'll find in your reading of Hebrews 12, the Bible teaches very, very clearly that the Christian life is presented to us in the analogy and the illustration of a runner entering and running the Greek marathon during the Olympic Games. And uh, to gain the valuable prize or prizes at the end, it would require of that runner endurance and patience and mental toughness and focus. And this analogy that uh, Paul is choosing to use is, of course, limited in some of its application, but very helpful to give us a visual aid. And if you'll notice here in chapter 12, verse number 1, we'll read the first three verses. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's implying like you had the grandstand, all the folks that are watching you run this race, he said, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint, in your minds, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Let me, let me say that, um, that for you and I to even have the opportunity uh, to participate uh, in this race, you're going to have to qualify uh, to be involved in this race. You can't just go one day and decide you want to be a part of the Boston Marathon and somewhere along the route you decide to jump in and start running. You're going to have to qualify and you're going to have to go to the entrance and you're going to have to start where everybody else started. So when it comes to this race that he's referring to, uh, we have to understand that you have to enter legally, lawfully, and correctly. To enter into this race, you have to go through a door. This door happens to be a person. That person happens to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, you must be willing to receive Him as your Lord and your Savior. By faith, believing that you are a sinner and He is the Savior. That you are sinful and He is sinless. That you are unrighteous and He is the righteousness of God. And that when you repent toward God and put your faith in Him, He will then take the righteousness of Christ, impute that to your account, and now you are qualified to begin to run this race. Do you understand that? You have to enter it legally and lawfully. Then I want to say that that, uh, salvation is a gift. And it's not like the Lord saved you and then put you on track and say, okay, do the best you can 
and uh, try to make it to the end, but if you fall short of it, not my fault. That's not the way this works. This is not about salvation here in your race. It's about your discipleship. It's about your development. Understand that salvation is a gift to be received. But discipleship and development is not. Where salvation is a gift, discipleship allows you to be able to actually obtain and receive some rewards and some crowns on the other side. Adrian Rogers said, A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And so, I want you to understand here in Hebrews 12, there are three sections here that you and I are going to have to, and the word endure is mentioned four times in this chapter. Three that specifically has to do with our race. You have to endure, at some point, the cross. Not talking about the cross of Calvary. I'm talking about you yielding your will to God's will. That meaning you take up each day your cross and you say, Father, not my will, but thine be done. And each situation and circumstance that you run into during the day, Lord, what do you want me to do? God, what does your word say? Lord, what would you have me to do in this situation? That is bearing your cross daily. It is you nailing your will to the cross, you dying daily to that, because it is a daily battle. It is a daily battle. As a matter of fact, you might have to nail it some days three or four times in one day. But it is you wanting God's will over your will. His, that your meat is doing His will, that you want to please the Father. All right? And uh, this marathon now, it's uh, an average of over 26 miles to 27 miles. So let's break it up. Let's say it's 27 miles. Let's break it up in three sections. You're going to have to endure the cross. Number two, you're going to have to endure contradictions or conflicts. And number three, you're going to have to endure the chastening hand of the Lord as He works in your life. All three of these. Every one of us, while we have the course set before us, The details are worked out in each of our lives, but we are going to have to pass all three hurdles as we develop our discipleship, and God will grant us some blessings at the end. I want want to make it very clear again to everybody that may be watching, everybody here that's listening, that salvation is free. His blood is the propitiation for our sins. Rewards and crowns for discipleship are not free. God is greatly pleased with faith. And without faith, you will not be able to please Him. God rewards those who diligently seek Him in this area of faith. Paul said this at the end of his day. He said, I have fought a good fight. He said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He said, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul was not referring to the fact that he had fought his way to salvation and that he had had ran his course and finally made it and endured to the end that God might save him. But no, he's referring to the fact that God had laid up for him a crown of righteousness. He said, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me, and not to me only, but also to those who love his appearing. Now today... 
I want to enter into you with this second phase, this second stage that I think to be, and I would encourage you, I am sure of the biblical truth that we're studying this morning. I am confident of the truth. Not in the ability to articulate it, but in the ability, I mean, or should I say, in the confidence that it will help us. You're going to need this message at other times in your life. I would encourage you to take notes. I would encourage you to watch this later or listen to it later. Because at some point, this is going to be very vital in your Christian race. You'll notice here in verse number 3. I want us to focus on verse 3 about enduring contradictions and conflicts. Verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Now this definition of contradictions and conflicts. This is going to be people who think differently than you do. These are going to be people who walk contrary to the will of God. They're not interested in nailing their will to the cross. They're interested in their will being done. So now you are going one direction, and they are going this direction, and the closer you are to these people, the more friction there's going to be in your Christian life. It will usually be those who have some form of religion in their lives. Jesus Christ faced the most contradiction, not with common people, but with the religious crowd. And it will be those who profess to know Him, but in works and in obedience, they deny Him that will give you the most grief. They will profess to be saved, but they are not interested in doing what the Bible says. It's always being thrown up of, well, that's your opinion. Or that is your interpretation. Now, sometimes you do express your opinion when it shouldn't be. And sometimes your interpretation of a passage may be off target. But most of the time, when it comes to the direct will of God, it's in black and white. And if you can read English and understand sentences, there is no room for argument about certain things that are the will of God. But they will. These will be folks that have no problem with you being religious or being attentive to church and being even a Bible toter and a Bible believer, just don't take it too seriously. And don't practice it. Don't actually obey it. Don't actually do what it says. Build your house instead upon the sand who hear it, rather than building it upon the solid foundation of those who hear it and actually do it and apply it to their lives. And the reason why I say this, because there's a warning given to this if you don't. I'm going to give you some real help this morning if you listen carefully. Verse 3 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction 
of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind, because it is in this realm that these people who live in your circle of life will impact your spiritual and your emotional well-being, and they're going to wear you down. It's not something that is there just for a moment, then it goes away. It is something that you can't get away from. Now let's, let's look at three things that are critical here. I want you to look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4. Please look over in your Bibles with me. Unless you've got your Bible memorized, I'd like for you to look with me in the Word of God. I want to say that this morning, my goal to help you this morning is to prepare you for this. Everybody that runs or does an athletic event, usually they prepare themselves for that event. They don't just show up. Unless you like John Daly in golf, you know, and he drinks beer and smokes cigarettes and cigars all the time and liquor, and he just shows up, and he's big as a 50-gallon drum and plays golf. That's, that's an unusual situation. Most of the time, you've got folks like Tiger Woods or some other uh, golfer that will hit two or three hundred balls in the morning before he goes out on the course just to get himself loose and prepared. People who play National Football League, they... They, uh, they don't lay around eating laced potato chips and drinking Cokes. They prepare themselves. They don't have very much uh, what you call uh, fat on their body. They prepare themselves. Now, my goal this morning is to sincerely and seriously prepare you for what you're going to face. Some of you have already faced this. And for some of you, it has, it has brought you low and has almost knocked you out of the race. But I want your preparation to be good, and I want your expectation to be realistic. It's not all doom and gloom. It's making preparation for you enduring your race, because there's great rewards on the other side of this. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's look at actually what the Bible says. Now, when you read 1 Peter, you'll say many times as he's writing through these five chapters, he's referring to Christians who are going through suffering. And they're going through some conflicts. And he's encouraging them to make sure that you're not shooting yourself in the foot. Make sure that you're not troubling your own house with your own attitudes and your own demands. He said, but if you walk according to the will of God, there's going to be some people in your life that are going to create some drama, some emotional burden, some issues in your life that you will not be able to get away from, it's going to require of you to endure it. And it's going to wear on you mentally, and it's going to wear on you emotionally. Okay, now look, let's look at 1 Peter 4. Look at this carefully with me. It's very clear here. Four times in this book, he specifically mentions the will of God. Number one, here's three easy points for you. They all start with an A, just to help you to remember it. Number one, is that you... Arm yourselves. The Bible says in chapter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You must arm yourselves. Now the word arm by itself, implies a conflict, a battle. 
opposition. And the Bible says in verse 2, that he no longer, talking about those who have yielded himself to the will of God, that he no longer, that you want to cease from sin, you don't want the flesh ruling your life. Verse 2 says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now that simply implies here that other people don't mind you having religion, just don't change the way you live. And don't change the way and the direction that you go. Don't do that. Peace at any cost is what they want. All right, now watch. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. So there was a time when we did walk according to the lust of our flesh. And we got along with all of our buddies and families and, and friends because we were walking the same direction they were and... Look what he says. We were, we were yielding to their will. If they wanted to go party, we went and party. If they wanted to take a drink, we'd take a drink. If we wanted to watch a movie, a certain kind of wicked movie, we'd watch the movie. Whatever it was, we, we just kind of went with the flow. But he says now, he said, now you've done that in your past, but now you've changed directions and destinations. And no longer are you now walking and, and, and going in their direction. He says, when we walked in lasciviousness, Lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. See, people don't really care what you do as long as you don't impact their fun and their morality. Amen. And he says here, in other words, you're going a different direction. Verse 4 says... When they think it's strange. Has anybody ever thought you were strange? I'm not talking about because you're weird. I'm talking about because you're going a different direction. Maybe you're attending a, a work facility, a situation, or fellowship, or party, and they're serving the liquor, and you say, no, I, I, don't, think, I don't think so. And they look at you and say, well, what's wrong with you? It's not it's not enough that they won't that they allow you tolerance to do what you want to do. It's the fact that they want you not to condemn what they're doing, because light condemns darkness. And he says here, where they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? So you got to you got to prepare yourself mentally for this, that you are going to be criticized and sometimes even ostracized and your close friends and the circle of your close friends is going to get tighter and tighter and smaller and smaller. It's the way it is. Prepare yourself for this. Because if you start walking the same direction that the Lord wants you to, you won't have to leave some of that crowd. That crowd will leave you. Now quickly, go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 10, please. Matthew chapter 10. This is an area that is very, very sensitive. And I I really want to help you with this. Matthew chapter number 10. I hope you sense my burden here. I I hope you sense my, 
I want to, I want to convey these truths to you with all of my heart. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 34. Number one, we must arm ourselves mentally and understand and arm ourselves with the mindset that we're thinking different. Now we're living different. Now we're walking different. And you would think that everybody would be happy for us now that our life is cleaner. and Now that it's holier. Now that it's more godly. And less damaging to the mind, the soul, and the body. You would think they'd be happy for us. Look in Matthew chapter number 10. Look in verse number 34. Not only must we arm ourselves, but we must aware ourselves. Now use that word aware on purpose. It means that you need to inform yourself and you need to be conscious of this divine truth. Because in this area, you must allow your mind to rule over your emotions. Because now we're going to delve into the area where it is very... It's a very emotional area, and you will have to endure it. Your mind must be stronger than your emotions. That's why a lot of these churches today are filling up and bursting at the seams is because their emotions rule over their minds. It's not about truth. It's about feelings. And if you, don't, you get that out of order, you're in real serious danger. So look in Matthew chapter number 10. Now I'm not saying you don't, you don't bury your emotions. But be sure that your emotions are responding to truth. Okay, look at Matthew 10. Look at this with me right here. Look at verse 34. He says, think not. Ah, there you go. That has to do with your... Some of you right there, you can put a period right there and obey that, right? Think not. Because some people don't think. But God wants you to think. But He wants you to think the truth. He says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Hmm. Verse 35, He says, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father. And the daughter against her mother. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. I think I'm going to need some endurance for this. I am very emotionally attached to my family. My days can go up and down emotionally based on what happens with my family and my relationship with my children, my grandchildren. My parents are now gone to be with the Lord. But I'm thinking back over the 40-something years of being gone from home. The impact of my sister and my brother. You know, some people don't have a problem with this because they don't really care about their family. But for most of us in here, we've given everything with all of our might. We have attempted not only to save ourselves, but to save our families. We've endured to try to teach our children, to try to get them a head start above us when we were first born again. We've poured everything we can into it. 
And we've tried to read every book. We've tried to listen to every teacher. We've tried to find out all the information that we could to try to be a better parent than what ours were. Our goal was to be able to have our children embrace our faith and follow the faith of of our great God. And to go further than we've ever gone with it. That's our goal, our desire. And Jesus said, I just need you to make you aware of something. That where is, I didn't come to destroy your family. I'm just saying there may be some inside your family circle that may not be interested in doing the Lord's will. And because of that, there's going to be some variance. There's going to be some differences. There's going to be some serious disagreements. You say, well, Brother Roger, we don't have any problem in our family because we don't discuss politics or religion. Then you don't really discuss anything that matters earthly or eternally. What you have are surface relationships. What you do is you just stay above the iceberg. You're just living on the tip of it. There's nothing really going on underneath it. In other words, you can have a conversation for two hours with a family member and never discuss anything that matters just so that you can get alone. That's the truth. But life is not like that. Life eventually is going to put you and squeeze you into a situation of where there's going to be a serious discussion takes place at some point with some things. Especially when it comes to money or it comes to morality or it comes to modesty. And people love you and will get along with you as long as you don't say, no, I can't go with you on that. You understand? Prepare yourself for this. Be aware of this. Look what he says here. Verse 37 says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Your discipleship is going to cost you something. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This again has to do with the first stage of your race because he says in verse 38, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. See, it's not that I'm trying to impose my will on all of my family. It's that I am, I am trying to follow his will. And if I get a chance, and if I can, I will impose His will on their will. Because I want them to embrace His will and do His will. Now I want you to think about this, because this is where our emotions... Look over in Luke chapter number 8 with me real quick if you would. Luke chapter 8, look in verse number 19. Luke chapter 8 verse 19. I think about all my family members, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents, my sons, my daughters, my in-laws. There, it just there's a large circle there. You see, when you get married, you don't just marry the person you said I do to. You also marry into a family. The Bible says here in Luke chapter number eight, verse number nineteen. And this is where your race is going to take place, That where you're going to have to endure some things because, you know, you have to endure some things at work. 
but you have a family. Hopefully you have a family of some sort. Verse 18 says this. I think I'm in the right place here. Verse 19. Yes. Then came to him his mother, his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. So now this is his mother and his brothers. Yes, Jesus did have brothers. Yes, Mary did have other children. Then came he him to his mother. Then came to him his mother and his brethren, and could not come at him for the press. There are too many folks around him. We're not talking about NBC and CBS here. The people were common. People were gathered around him. Verse twenty, and it says, and it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. See, before he stepped out into the realm and identified himself with his father and began to follow God's will. Before that time, he was subjecting himself to the will of all the earthly authorities that were around him. But then the Lord called him into a specific period of ministry where he stepped out. And now he is seeking God's will above everybody else's will. And now that goes over the will of his parents. It goes over the will of his brothers. Do you understand? He no longer... That is no longer the priority or his boss. Now he is yielding himself only to God's will and God's calling. But they're used to him being kind and being gentle and gracious and a blessing and probably a problem solver in the family. So they they say, hey, we need to talk to you. Now they're implying here that they have access to him more so than anybody else that they can make a few demands upon him that nobody else can. Okay? Because we're kin. And people will do the same with you. They will consider, to some degree, demanding some things out of you because you're kin. Not whether or not it's the will of the Father, but because we're kin. We're family. So in Luke chapter number 8, notice what he says in verse 19. Again, he comes. They want to see him. In verse 21, he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. He wasn't being mean to them. He was just saying, hey, I'm just letting you know that if you want to walk with me, you're going to have to go the same direction I'm going. Because I am pursuing the Father's will. And if it means that we can't get together and do some things, I'm sorry, but i got to be busy and be about my Father's business. Maybe, just maybe, on a Sunday, though there's six other days of the week, that you could meet together and have a family meal. They decide they want to plan something on, on, on Sunday and ask you, to miss church in order to be with family. And you have to say, I'm sorry, but the Lord's assembly is, that's my family also, and we're pursuing the will of God together. And if you'll come with me, we'll pursue the will of God together. But they'll say, hey, this is family. 
What are you doing? You know family is more important than church. And this is where the rubber hits the road. And where that you'll be criticized and condemned. But usually your family should be able to know where you are on Sunday morning and Sunday night, etc. Now, I want you to think about how painful and powerful this area is and how it can easily knock us off course. I'll give you some illustrations. Isaac and Rebekah had two boys. Jacob and Esau. Esau did not take the promises of God and the things of God seriously. They were considered light to him. His heritage was a light thing to him. That his parents were believers in God and, would, and he was the firstborn and he could have inherited some things and he sold it for a bowl of beans for the immediate. Jacob, he embraced that. He believed it. He believed he wanted the blessings of God. He grabbed a hold of it. Not necessarily the right way, but he grabbed a hold of it. Because he believed it. And also he listened to his parents when they said, Listen, uh, we want you to marry the right kind of girl. They didn't pick the girl. But they wanted the right kind of girl. So when it comes to marriage, Esau cared not for the promises of God or his family heritage and what God had done for them. He decided to go with his flesh. And then he went after two, not just one Hittite girl, but two Hittite girls. And married them. And the Bible says this specifically for us. That those girls and those marriages were of grief of mind. Grief of mind. To his parents. You carry weights and burdens. Because your children have not considered the kind of person that they should be courting or marrying. When it comes to marriage, it's a big deal. It's an emotional deal. The whole family comes around and turns out for it and supportive of it and prays that it will endure until the end. Am I in agreement? And when that son or daughter does not choose the right kind of person, and you love your children, it is of great grief and sorrow. And it's not something that goes away in a day or two, or a week or two, or a month or two. It is something that has to be endured. I feel like I'm touching on some thin ice here for you. But I think you can relate to this. Our minds have to rule over our emotions in this situation. God's will has to rule over our will. If somebody marries the wrong kind of person, or maybe they might even dissolve the marriage against your will and against God's will. You still have to live with the fallout. You still have to live with the consequences. It can't, it's not like you can take an eraser and just erase the board and start over. You can't do that. You have to keep going. And when it comes to our children sometimes making bad decisions, 
How about David? How, and I'm talking about how that it was a grief to Isaac and Rebekah, and I think was a really a strain to their race. Could have knocked them out of the race. Then I think about David and all his children, but I'm thinking specifically about how emotionally entrapped he was with Absalom. And how that Absalom, whatever reasons that he did what he did, some of the things that he did do, when he was killed, David did not want him to be killed. It is true that love can cover a multitude of faults and sins. And when Absalom was killed, I think it was by Joab. Is that right, Brother John? Wasn't it Joab that put those darts in his heart? They came back and told him the Bible. And listen, if you want to see something that ought to bring a tear to your ear, I'm sorry. It's not a time for humor right there. Wasn't trying to be. To bring a tear to your eye is when David hears of his son's passing. And he is walking outside and they can hear him. Do you understand? They could hear him wailing, saying, Oh, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And sometimes our children make bad decisions. And if we're not careful, the emotions we get wrapped up in our children making bad decisions can get our eyes off the prize and where we're going and off of eternity and why we're here and what we're doing and it can knock us off course and sap us of our mental and emotional strength that we must have for this race. I know you can relate to this. I know you understand this. The Bible says he was much moved. Much moved. David was. I don't show a lot of emotion. But if you want to see some emotions... It'll be with my son and my girls. It'll be with my wife. It'll be with my church family. It'll be with the people that I love the most. That I'm impacted by their decisions and their choices. Good. Not all emotions are bad about this. I'm not talking about it, but I'm talking about impacting being much moved. I'm much moved when somebody makes a good decision. I'm much moved when they make a bad decision. And here he says that he was much moved and he wept. And I, listen, you talk about somebody that really showed himself to be a man. When it comes to family and conflict and contradictions, we're talking about Asa. King Asa followed after the Lord with his heart in most of his journey as a king, but one of the hardest things that he ever had to do. His mother, when he inherited the kingdom, his mother was the queen. And he inherited, and yet he wanted to follow after the Lord. He'd, he'd say, I want to do God's will. But his mother was not interested in doing God's will. She had already had her little religion over here. And she even had put up some idols in a grove, and she wanted other people in her religion. And she was queen. She had impact and influence, and mothers do. Mothers can really impact a family's... Uh, atmosphere by what she demands and what she wants and what she puts out there. And very few men, it appears, in my in this generation, have the courage to say no to their mothers, to their wives, or to their daughters. 
when it comes to conflict between God's will and their will. I'll say amen for me right there. But there are many women who want God's will and are even stronger mentally than their own husbands and who have discernment and good judgment while their husbands are effeminate and are moved by their feelings. But God's will is for that man to lead and to say, hey, let's do God's will regardless of how we feel right now. Let's stick with God. Let's do what's right. The tide goes out. The tide comes in. It looks slim right now, but it'll come back in. God will bring it back around. He will. But you know what he did? The Bible says that he um, removed his mother from being queen. Oh, I bet that went well. I bet that went well when he said, Mom, um, you're no longer in charge over here. Sometimes a, a young man with his own family has to say, Mom, we're not at your house anymore. This is my house. We do things according to my way of doing things. That creates a great atmosphere, doesn't it? But mom, you should never, ever impose your will above God's will. You should desire God's will in your children, in your son, in your family. Amen? Be very careful there. I just want to encourage you here one more place and we'll go to the house, all right? I want you to look to Hebrews chapter number 12. You know, people love you in your family atmosphere as long as you do not oppose them or show any disapproval of their choices. And you know how they can tell that? Just by looking at your countenance, your eyes. You're not excited for their decision. They're disappointed because they want your approval. If you have a tight family, a good family, people want to get along. Again, I'm not talking about you troubling your house and always having your way about everything. We're talking about what's important, what's sin, what's not sin, what's right and what's not right. All right, let's go back to our our text here and look in Hebrews chapter number 12. How in the world... Are we going to make it through this? Well, again, it's going to go back to the whether or not do you want to please the Lord. Paul said, For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So I know in my mind I can't please everybody. Not even in my family. I can't please everybody. So I've got to make up my mind that I'm going to please the Lord and seek after Him, even if it means there's going to be some conflict and contradiction When Cindy and I decided to follow the Lord's will and leave Mississippi, my family and her family were not happy. We were heavily criticized also for choosing to homeschool our own children and private school our children. It was, and I told them, I said, look, you had your chance and we are thankful for what you did. Give us the same chance to make our own decisions with our children. And over time... That conflict began to fade because they began to see the benefits of some of the choices that we made. 
compared to some of the other family members in the direction they were going. But I want to show you this last thing, Hebrews chapter number 12, but you're going to have to endure some hard places. Hebrews 12 says in verse number 3, For consider him. How am I going to make it through these places? How am I going to... Is it because that this certain individual just has tremendous strength? No. It is because that they have looked to Him who has the strength. And their faith has looked to Him to help them endure this season. Verse 3 says, For consider Him, because listen, I'm thinking of some of you that maybe that you may have a father or a mother that maybe were at one time in the will of God, now they're not. And now it just seems like y'all can talk about everything except God. And I think you should live peaceably with men as much as you possibly can. But when it comes to the serious matters, you need to be honest and tell the truth. Verse 3, but consider Him. So while you're enduring this, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Because verse, verse number 4 says, you, in your striving against sin, you've not yet been made a martyr. You may have suffered some things, but nobody's nailed you to a tree for what you're enduring. Okay? So, let's consider Jesus for just a moment. All right? Look over in chapter 4 with me, please. This is the answer. Okay? Now, I've given you the dark side. Let me give you the bright side of this. Look in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 14. If you are going through some things and enduring some conflicts at work or family or wherever it is that you are having conflict with people concerning their, their moral choices, concerning even their marriages or concerning uh, the ministry and the things of the Bible, just so many things that I could throw out there. But look in Hebrews chapter 4. Look in verse number 14. The Bible says that you must not fail of the grace of God in this area. Because if you do, you're going to develop a root of bitterness. Don't get bitter at God. Don't do that. And how do you avoid that? You're going to have to avail yourself to the grace of God. Do not allow that to fail. In other words, that word fail means you are neglecting the source of where that God would give you the grace that you need to endure what you're going through. Jesus Christ is not set out to make life miserable for us. It is for Him to help us. He's endured this. He's tasted this. He understands this. And He says, I will succor you. I will run to your aid if you will just look to me by faith and call upon me. Look in in Hebrews chapter 4. So when you are down and out and at your lowest and you feel the heaviness and you feel the emotion... Look in verse number 14 and you feel like you cannot bear it anymore. The verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Don't waver. Do not waver on your faith in Christ. Verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities. But, 
what was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly with confidence under the throne of grace. Not just salvation, but sustaining grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You ever just bowed your knee in your heart and said, God, I need help right here. Do you love that son? Do you love that daughter? And you want them in the will of God? And there are times when your heart is heavy. You have poured your heart out to God and you would to God that they were walking in the ways of the Lord and your heart is poured out to God. And you feel like sometimes that, I can't tell you how many times I've told God, I said, Lord, I know time is no problem for you. You operate outside of time. If you could take me out of this moment and put me back about 30 years and let me redo some things with what I know now, I'd appreciate it. But he'd say, he says, no. He said, but there's mercy and there's grace to help in time of need. I want you to look at Hebrews 5. You're in chapter 4. Look in chapter 5. Look in verse number 7. Talking about the Lord Jesus. Look unto Him. You say, well, Jesus doesn't understand this. Well, I just want to encourage you that He does. Verse 7. Who in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death, and was heard in that he feared. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. The Lord in your situation is trying to help you to learn how to be obedient. Stay in your place. And verse 9 says, being made perfect. That's what he's doing to you. He's perfecting you. Preparing you to be used. Do you know, I want you to think about Jesus. Do you know the very first time that he stepped out into public ministry after he was faced his temptations in the wilderness and after he had been baptized, he went back to his hometown, went into the synagogue, opened up the Word of God, just read it like he normally did. The Bible says he closed the book, however, and sat down and they looked at him. There was something different about him. He sat down and they looked at him and wondered at the gracious word that had proceeded out of his mouth. And he looked at him and said, I just want y'all to know, I'm paraphrasing, these verses I just read are fulfilled before you this day. And after he began to explain to them what God had called him to do, and he said, well, you're probably going to ask me this and you're probably going to ask me that. Why not this and why not that? And by the time he got through with his very first sermon, the Bible says they were filled with wrath and tried to take him and throw him off the edge of the cliff to kill him. That's all his friends. All the people he grew up with in the synagogue. So yeah, he did meet some contradiction of sinners. Then, in John chapter 7, before he was fixing to go into that final stage there of going to the cross. And they were about to observe the, uh, one of the feasts. 
The Bible says that his brethren, his brothers, not his cousins, his brothers, they looked at him and said, hey, listen, man, if you want the whole world to know who you are, why don't you just get out there and go with us and show them and tell them everybody who you really are? No need you hiding some of this stuff. And they were saying this in a way that manifested their unbelief in who he was. Because the Bible does say they had not yet believed upon him. And you know what Jesus said? And I'm getting paraphrasing now without, without abusing the scriptures. And I'm just paraphrasing it for you. He said, listen. The reason why you can get along with that crowd out there the way you do is because you go with the flow. He said, the world can't hate you, but it does hate me. He said, because my interest is doing the Father's will, your interest is in doing your will. That's why you can get along with so many folks. It's because you're all self-willed, doing your thing, pursuing your goals. Mine is to follow Him. That's the reason why they hate me. So yeah, He understands. He does. Do not underestimate that when he was in the garden and in other places, he poured his heart out to the Father as an example to us. The Bible says he tasted death by the grace of God. The grace of God. And that grace is made available to me and you. Let's go back to Hebrews 12. I want to show you one more verse and then we're going to go. Are you all still with me? You're going to have to endure the cross, yielding your will to His. You're going to have to endure... The contradiction and conflict of other people if you're going to press on and do God's will. You've got to run your race. You've got to stay on course. You've got to do what God's called you to do. Even if there's some that you love and care about and embrace, you may find that they may resist you on certain things. That's why you must arm yourself. Prepare yourself mentally for this. Aware yourself of the areas in which this may occur. And then you need to avail yourself of God's grace and say, Lord, I can't do this. This is killing me. This is breaking me. Look in Hebrews 11. I'm excuse me, 12. I want to show you something right here in verse number 22. Why press on? Life is short. I'm going to tell you why you need to continue, take a stand, live right, do right, regardless of the conflict. Just don't be the cause of the conflict because of your pride, your arrogance, your self-righteousness. Be sure that you have spoken the truth with some grace. Be sure that you have taken a stand without self-righteousness and without being pious and looking down upon others. Be sure that you understand and live peaceably with men as much as you can. Be gracious and kind, even to the unkind. But your family and your friends and your co-workers, number one, they need you to be real and to convey to them that there is something more important than this life. They need to see that in you. They're not going to see it at work. They're not going to see it with some of their other family members. They're not going to see it. They need to see it in you. If there's something that sticks in you that you can't turn loose of, and it's got a hold of you, and it won't turn loose of you, 
And I promise you at some point, God will visit them and they will remember your stand and the truth that you spoke. Just like when Saul saw what Stephen faced and what, how Stephen forgave those who threw rocks at him. And he even loudly spoke to the Father and said, Father, forgive them. He saw in that man something that he couldn't get away from. And God visited him and God dealt with him. And your family members that you think are not watching you, I promise you they are watching you. And they're watching to see if you'll fold like everybody else does and if you'll do what everybody else does and seek your own will. They're hoping that, for some of you, they're hoping that you've got something that's different than the rest of the world and the rest of the religious people that they know. And God will, the God of all grace, after you've suffered a while, He will make you perfect, mature you, establish you. That means stabilize you. Make you firm and strengthen you and enable you and settle you. That word settle, I love it. It says to free from doubt and uncertainty. He's going to settle you. But I want you to keep your eyes on the prize here. Because one of these days this life is over. Dash between two dates on a tombstone is very short. This will be like a blink of an eye. Look in Hebrews 12. I want to see you on the other side because you got saved. And when we get on the other side, I want to see the Lord handing out some stuff to some of you folks and say, Lord, they ran with me. I don't want you to be like Demas, where Paul said he fell out. Demas didn't fall out of his salvation, but he definitely fell out of his discipleship. He loved this present world. He fell out. And it hurt Paul. Look what he says in Hebrews 12. I'm sorry, I keep asking you to turn there, but look in verse 22. I love this. I'm, I'm telling you now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm headed to another city. And it ain't Houston, praise God, and it ain't Dallas. Right. Verse 22 says, But you are coming to Mount Zion under the city of the living God. I don't know how else to say this to you. I believe that. <laughs> I believe it. I've embraced it. I confess it. I live for it. The Bible says, Come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Now kids, that just means gobs and gobs and gobs of angels. Verse 23, To the general assembly. We used to have that in school. Where all the grades came in. All the teachers came in. In our Grammar school, the general assembly, everybody came in. There were first graders, second graders, third graders, fourth graders, teachers, janitors, co-workers, everything. Assistants, cafeteria crowd, everybody was there. General assembly. Well, the Bible says in verse 23, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. I want to raise my hand. When he says, how many first graders are here? Well, I'll be raising my hand. If it's the church of the firstborn, I'm in that part. He said, which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, I'm going to get to see him. And to the spirits of just men made perfect. I think that might be the Old Testament saints. Verse 24. And to Jesus, I'll get to see him. 
the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. He said, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. Listen to his voice. Do not neglect such a great salvation that God's given you. Salvation began by grace. It is sustained by another kind of grace. God will enable you to be able to follow after this. And by the way, if you will endure this, there are some things on the other side that God has when He says, well done. Which means not everybody has done well. But he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know what area God has called you into to suffer in some areas, but along your life's journey and in your race, you will. And you will need the grace of God to help you, to enable you to be able to endure it. When I say the grace of God, I'm talking about you pouring your heart out to God, pouring your heart out to God, bowing or standing, or walking before Him, and you're pouring your heart. It's not the posture. It's the heart. And saying, Father, I believe there is one and true and living God, and there is no other beside Thee. And You are the Father and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom You sent to the earth to be the propitiation for my sins. And you raised him up from the dead that a sinner like me could be reconciled unto you. Not only was Jesus the reconciler, he was the provision of the reconciliation. And he said, and I believe, and I'm telling you, you need to talk to him like this with some reverence and faith. And said, I believe that Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, is at your right hand of the majesty on high. And he knows what it's like to be down here and what I'm going through. And Lord, you gave him grace. He said, I could come to him for some of that grace. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I'm asking you. I'm trusting you that you will give me the grace that I need for this moment. There's only one thing, two things that will keep you from getting that grace. One would be your unbelief that you won't go to him. And number two would be your pride. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Jesus subjected Himself. That's humility. It's submitting my will to His will. And if it's His will that I have to suffer a little bit and go through some things with some conflicts that grieve me, hurt me, burden me, I may need you to pray for me. I may need you to help me along the way. And He may use you to do that to give me some grace. And I'll try to come along beside you when you're heavy hearted. You try to bear your burden. And when you can't, God will send the rest of us along to help you bear your burden. You're not alone in this race. Let's bow our heads for just a moment there. If you feel like you need to come forward and we don't have any altars up here, we have these empty chairs up here. You can kneel by one of those if you need to pray or maybe right where you are. Maybe you need to come and talk to God. Maybe right where you are, you need to bow your head and say, Lord, I need some grace. I need your grace to run my race. 
Father in heaven, I want your will to be done with all of my heart. And I pray, Lord, that your will be done in this service. You know, Lord, how much I love my son and my girls and my, my family, Lord, and how much I want their, your will to be done in their lives above my own will. And I pray you'd help me, dear God, to be an example and forgive me of my failures. And God, give me grace to be kind and gentle but firm. Help me, Lord, I pray, to be like Jesus. And I pray for these families, Lord, that they would endure their conflicts and they would ask you for some grace today. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, you obey the Holy Ghost right now, if you would, please.